listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. Good morning, everybody. It is great to uh, great to be here, and um, just as a, a another announcement, another praise. Um, there's something that happens this week, um, very very significant event that happens this week. Um, we pay um, our last mortgage payment on this building. Um, so we moved in here uh, in April of 2019. And God has um, blessed us tremendously, and there's been much uh, generosity um, to, uh, to the purchase of this building. And it is amazing to think that in just a tad over a year, right, we are going to be, uh, we will be debt-free with this building. And so we just want to thank God and praise him uh, for that. Um, this is a, a huge blessing. I sent out an email uh, yesterday, the elders did, um, just about reflecting back on God's faithfulness um, to this church and the provision. When we were in need and we were wrestling with what do we do? We've outgrown courtyard streets. Um, and God, um, I think as I put in the email, I kind of just dropped this in our lap. And so we just thank him and praise him for, for that. And so um, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 this morning. Um, and as you turn there or scroll there, um, we talked last week just about um, disorientation a little bit and how we get disoriented in life, and God uses that to, to reorient us back to himself. And as Paul is writing to the Colossian church, this church in Colossae, um, it had a good foundation, had a good gospel foundation, right? But the church was indeed under pressure. There was false teaching from various avenues and various ways kind of trying to push in on this church, but Paul says that he was, thanks God always for this church, for what God has been doing in the church, and for what God has done in that church, because this church was growing, and this church was loving one another. They were rooted in hope um, because of the gospel, the prolific nature of the gospel that was not just bearing fruit and growing, increasing in the world, but in their lives as well, in their little community, their church community, and so he was thankful for all of that, but he recognized that they are going to indeed be under pressure, but there was this man that God had used, Epaphras, who invested a lot of time and energy into those people to, to invest in them, and so he was thankful for Epaphras as well. And so now this morning, that was kind of a, a thanksgiving piece, and now we're going to talk more specifically about the prayer um, that Paul prays um, for this church. And so I want to read verses 9 through 14 um, to, for us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll spend some time in his word, and I'm going to probably read it differently than is written in your Bibles, okay? And I will explain that uh, when we get there in the sermon. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for um, your grace, Lord, and your mercy and your blessings and your faithfulness to us as a church. Lord, you meet needs on countless levels. There are things that you are doing that we are completely unaware of. Lord, but when we do see you working and moving, we need to pause and give you thanks. And so, Lord, we thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us. Even in these times of uncertainty, even in these times that are less than ideal, you are still God and you are sovereign. And we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that you have given us your word. And Lord, it's my prayer now that your word would do a work in my heart and in my life. Lord, that your word would do a work in those who are sitting in this building. Lord, that your word would do a work with those who may be watching online or who may hear this in the days ahead. Lord, you love us. You care deeply for us. And we praise you for that. In your name, amen. So whenever you read uh, one of Paul's letters, all right, it's sometimes it's very easy um, to kind of just kind of breeze over the prayers, because for most of his letters, he writes prayers to the people, to the church. Um, I want to encourage you to not do that anymore and to pause and to spend some time in those prayers, because when Paul prays, um, that is his way of giving clues uh, to the people in Colossae and therefore to us on what he's going to be writing about. He tips his hand a little bit, if you will. And so his prayers can be very, very profoundly important. And so we're going to spend some time lingering in these six verses talking about the prayer that Paul prayed for this people. And he starts off by saying, from the day that we heard, and that refers back to Epaphras. And last week we talked about Epaphras was ministering to these people, and he sends a report to Paul, hey, here's what's happening in Colossae, because Paul is not directly involved with this church. And so from the day that they heard, Paul and those who were with him did not cease to pray and ask very specifically that that church may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, his will, and all spiritual wisdom and insights. Now, what I don't want you to think is that this is the first time Paul's been praying for the church because that's, that's not true. Right? He said early on right, that we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So he's been, they've been praying for this work in Colossae, but now they can pray more specifically for the church in Colossae because they're hearing now from Epaphras, hey, here's what's happening, here's what's going on with these people, with this band of believers in this city. We can pray specifically about these things. And so now Paul's going to unpack specifically how he's been praying. He's been praying for them and giving thanks to God for them, but now he can push in and pray and intercede for them more specifically. And so we can talk about a little bit about praying generally for people, right, or praying specifically for people. And Breck mentioned those prayer requests, right, that we can send out are so, so helpful, right? Conversations that we have with one another, we can talk and we can pray generally for people. Then when they share something like, hey, I'm struggling with this, it's always like, man, now I can pray for you specifically in this area, 
right? And what that does is that strengthens the church, right? It tightens us up and it creates a tighter knit family. And so next Sunday, because we're talking so much about prayer these, this, this week and last week, we're going to have a prayer service going to look a little bit different than we normally do. And we don't look normal now, right? And so we're adding another wrinkle. So when you come here next Sunday, right, we're going to spend time praying for one another as a church. We're going to gather in here. There'll be one song, and then we're going to spend time praying for our church family. It's not going to be live streamed. None of that's going to happen. We want to protect people's privacy and those things. But we're going to be praying for our church family. It'll be an opportunity for you to share requests, and then we can pray for each other. And then, okay, we're going to leave this place, and we're going to go out into the town and pray for the town. All right? And I will have, I'm not going to be here, but I will have um, Grant's, Grant's the elder leading us. We just figured that out. Anyway, um, we're going uh, to have places for you to go where you can hop in your car with your family and can pray for the town. You can pray Right? We'll be, you'll, you'll be down on Lincoln Health's campus praying for all the people who work at Lincoln Health. You'll be at GSB praying for the teachers. You'll be at Lincoln Academy praying for the You'll be praying for first responders. We're going to send you out right, so we can pray for this town. And then you're going to come back, and we'll, you'll sing a song, and then you'll, you'll leave. That's our serve. We want to pray. We want to practice um, what we're hearing and what we're seeing Paul model for us. Right? So we can pray specifically for one another, and then we can pray generally for our community. But we've done this before, and it's not uncommon for you to be approached by somebody and say, hey, what are you doing? Right? And so all of a sudden, you might be able to pray specifically for somebody. But it is a tremendous opportunity to be a blessing to the people of our community and of our neighborhoods. But back to, to our text this morning. So Paul's asking, right, that God and his grace would fill this church, right, with the knowledge of his will, of God's will, and all spiritual wisdom and insights, okay? That's the purpose of Paul's prayer. That's also the purpose of why he's writing, right? Yes, they have a good foundation. Yes, they are rooted well in the gospel. It is bearing fruit and growing, but they are indeed under pressure. And so he's going to spend time writing to, to give them some doctrine, but then to also give them real specific commands and ways that they ought to live in a way that is pleasing and honoring, that they would understand the will of God for their lives and all spiritual wisdom and insights. And it's God who does this work. It is God who fills them. And so he's asking God to please fill these people. May they know you and your will. And so I want to take a few minutes and talk about the will of God's. Because when I say the will of God's, there's probably different ways that you're thinking, right? You've, you've jumped to a conclusion as soon as I say those words. But I want to talk about the will of God in two ways. And I'm doing this so I can show you, I think this is the way, this is how Paul's writing his letter. When I say the will of God, we can talk about the sovereign will of God or the will of decree. And that is that God has sovereign control over all things and everything that happens, right, in his creation. God is ultimately responsible and ultimately in control for what happens, Right now, this creates tension, if we're honest, right? Because this means that God ordains or that God allows things that he hates or things that he disapproves of, like sin. 
I want to give you some verses to back this up. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so he's submitting himself. Jesus, in that moment, is submitting himself to the sovereign will of God. And the sovereign will of God includes the murder of his one and only beloved son. And in order for that to happen, there had to be sin. And so God is ordaining and allowing sin because that has to happen in order for his plan of redemption to be fulfilled through his son because it is a sin to bear false witness. It is a sin to lie. And there were many people that stood up and lied about the life and ministry of Jesus. It's a sin to mock God. It's a sin to beat God. It's a sin to kill the son of God. But God ordains it, yet without being a sinner. Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It's the sovereign will of God's. 1 Peter 3.17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Right? The reality is that you can do what God commands you to do. You can live that way, and you may still suffer for that. That's God's sovereign will. Ephesians 1.11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, all things. God is sovereign over his creation and has ultimate responsibility. This is the sovereign will or his will of decree. But there's also the will of commands. And this is God's word to us and how we ought to live and what he calls us to be as believers, and this will, this will of command, can be frustrated, it can be denied, and it can be ignored. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does will, the will of my Father who is in heaven. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. The implication is what? Well, there are some people who are going to do the will of God, and there are others who aren't going to do the will of God. And if you do the will of God, you'll be in heaven. If you don't do the will of God, you won't. First Thessalonians 4 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Right? God's will is for you to be sanctified. God's will is for you to grow in your relationship with him, to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who he is and how he calls you to live. But the verse goes on, that you abstain from sexual immorality. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God cares deeply for your holiness. He cares deeply how you live. And Paul goes on in this, in this letter and says, abstain from sexual immorality. 
right? Because of that, this is how you're to live. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but just that one sexual immorality, that's probably broken every day in this church and in the world. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think it's always so super helpful when we read the Bible and things are defined really clearly, right? I need that, right? 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, right? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about this because we don't complain, right? Christians don't complain, right? That's easy, right? We don't do that, right? 1 John 2:17, For the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so there's a way that God commands us to live, right? And as I was reading those passages, right, you may have been a little bit uncomfortable because like, oh, man, gee, I was complaining just last night, right? So like it's, right? So it can be frustrated. So you have God's sovereign will, which nothing can undo God's sovereign will and his perfect control. But then you have his will of command, which can be frustrated and which we can deny. So that creates tension, but I want to point you to Jesus first and foremost. And even just in the book of Hebrews, right? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the heir of all things. He created the world and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? Jesus is the sovereign king of this world. But then we can read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, which tells us that he's our sympathetic high priest who is tempted in every way that we were, yet without sin. So he can sympathize with our weaknesses. So he perfectly fulfilled God's will of commands. It's Jesus. Right? We need Jesus because he does both things and he is our example Right? But in the reality, like we need both of these wills, although there's tension, we need both of them in our lives. When situations happen in our lives, we need both of these. And let me explain. Let's say that somebody you know, maybe somebody in your family was murdered. Right? And you come to me, or come to somebody in this church and ask this question, was this the will of God? Right? And that is a tremendously good question. And here's the answer. You're not going to like the answer. Here's the answer. No. No, because God calls us to, to love one another. God calls us not to murder God calls us to treat others more important and more better than ourselves. We're to live, God, that men are created in the image and likeness of God, therefore they have value, and you should not take a life. So no, it was not the will of God, because God hates sin, he hates murder. But it 
was because he's sovereign and he allowed it to, to, to happen. And he's working it for, his, for our good and for his glory. It's part of his plan of redemption. And so, yes, but, but, but no. But we need that tension in our lives. We need to be able to wrestle with it not being God's will because it's sin. Right? And we need to be upset at that and we need to bristle at that and grieve that. But yet we also need to understand that God is sovereign over everything. So in this passage this morning, I believe when Paul says and asks God that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, it is his will of commands. Paul is praying and asking God by his grace to fill them with knowledge and how they're supposed to live. How are they supposed to interact with these people who are going to be teaching false things and trying to confuse them and pull them away from the gospel? Encourage them to live who they are in Christ. There are going to be competing voices. There's going to be pressure. He's praying, please, God, don't let them be swayed. Let them be held safe and strong. Help them have confidence in you and who you are. Help them to be able to discern truth, but then be able to make good decisions based upon that truth. Help them to live in the light of what you command of them, but to rest in your sovereignty. As you read the rest of Colossians, he's going to be really how they're supposed to live. Right? They have a foundation of the gospel, but how does that influence the way and inform the way that they are to live? It is God's will of command that Paul is praying that they understand because he has this goal in mind in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. God, open up their hearts in minds, fill them, God, with knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they will walk in a manner worthy of you and they will be fully pleasing to you. He, God, is the standard for how they are to live. So give them wisdom and help them apply that wisdom to their daily lives. Let their character be transformed. Let their hearts be transformed. It's, not, it's more about ethics and how to live than intellectual knowledge, but they're going to try to confuse them with intellectual knowledge and worshiping angels and abstaining from things. No, how are they supposed to live according to your words? It's more about character, not abstract thought and mystical secret knowledge that some people claim that they have. They have your word. They have knowledge. Give them. Help them live in light of that knowledge. And then he gives them three ways. And this is all his prayer, right? So this, and this, so this is what he's going to be writing about. He gives them three things. Number one, he prayed that the people would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That's God's glorious might for all endurance Nope, I skipped something, didn't I? Bearing fruits 
in every, I did, I skipped a word, look at that. All right, go back. All right, end of verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the first thing. Paul is praying, right, that these people, that these believers would bear fruits and would increase in their knowledge of God's. Now, we heard bear fruit increase last week, right? That's what the gospel was doing in the world and in Colossae. And now he's pushing it now into the people's practical everyday lives. God, we want them to bear fruit in every good work and to increase in their knowledge of God's. We want them to continue to grow, not to become stagnant, not to become complacent. They need to continue to grow. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He's praying the same thing. Now, for these peoples of Colossae, continue to grow. Show this pattern of growth, right? And yes, there's going to be valleys. Yes, there's going to be highs and lows. But we want to see this continual pattern of growth in their lives. We call that progressive sanctification, Paul's not praying that they would be perfect, but that they would be growing. That they would bear fruit in every good work. That as they serve in their community, as they serve and love one another, right, that they would be bearing fruit in every good work. And as you serve, right, you also grow in spiritual understanding. And it's all by God's grace, right? When you go overseas... If you've gone, I've been to the Czech Republic twice to, to, to serve and to help Roddick and Laura in the Czech Republic. Okay? But I come back, both those times I come back, I've grown. I've increased in my wisdom and knowledge. I, I bear fruit. Right? So as you serve, you, you grow. You get blessed. You're blessing them, but man, you get a blessing back. So as you serve, by God's grace, you're going to increase in your understanding of God. You're going to understand more about who you are and how God is working in your life and how he's working in others' lives. You're going to see God's faithfulness and his blessing. You need to make sure, right, that you are putting yourself in a position to grow. Right? As, as we think about right, all that's happening with COVID-19 and all these restrictions, all these things that are in place, right, you need to make sure you're putting yourself in a position to grow because it's really easy to not do that. It's really easy for me not to put myself in a position to grow. We need to fight for that. Right? It's something I think that we, we take for granted. I took it for granted. Right? And now all of a sudden you realize, like, boy, we got to really kind of fight for these things. We just kind of, oh, the fellowship breakfast and all these things that we used to do here, now that we, we, we can't do. And so, we, like, we have, we have to fight for what we believe is good and true. And so it's the same thing. Put yourself in a position to grow. That's what he's praying for the Colossian people. Number two, he's praying that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. I'm purposely not reading the last two words, Right? being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Right, that word strengthened, right, it's a, it's a passive participle. It's a divine passive, and it means that it is God who is going to 
be strengthening them. It is God who enables the Colossian people to, right, have endurance and to have patience. So God is calling them to live with endurance and patience, and he's equipping them to live with endurance and patience. So God never asks you to do something that he doesn't equip you to do. He gives us that provision. Right, so the implication is simply this. Like that power and that equipping is, all, is always there for you. And so if you're not feeling um, especially steadfast or have a lot of endurance or you don't have a lot of patience, the issue is you in your heart, in your life. It's not God because the power is there. He's equipping you to do it. So when we think about endurance, right, we think about being able to, to be steadfast and to hold up and, and to, to bear up in the face of difficult situations, challenges. We want to persevere. We want to be steadfast. We hear people sometimes say, like, I, I don't want to blow my testimony here. Right? That, that's just a way of saying, hey, give, give me some endurance. Give me some patience. Right, and that being patient with people, there's this, this emotional calm that you can have even when you're being hassled or provoked or tormented, taunted, mocked. And you do it without complaining. You exude patience. And so if we take those two things together, Paul's saying, be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. It's his work. He's equipping. He gives you this for all endurance and patience. It's that God in his grace gives you the power to endure those difficult situations in life and the ability to relate well and to relate in a positive way to other people. So neither circumstances nor people are to upset the person who walks in the will of God, or God's will of commands, how he commands us to, to live. Okay? Even when, right, and here's the tension, even when God sovereignly allows that situation in your life. Even when God sovereignly brings that person into your life that you really have a hard time being patient with, God has equipped you to and strengthened you to handle that and to handle it well. And if I'm honest, I don't do that well. <laughs> right? But... That's the beauty of the gospel. There's forgiveness. Jesus is our great high priest. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He was without sin, tempted as we were. And so we can boldly approach, right, the throne. We can boldly approach the cross. And there's forgiveness at the cross when we fall short. We're not called to be perfect. We're called to be growing. And so when we stumble, we need to get back up and ask for forgiveness and confess. And then like, okay, I need to like, keep moving. Right? I've learned I need to keep moving. The author N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. 
Patience is what they show to an apparently impossible person. Endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. Patience is what they show to an apparently impossible person. And Paul is praying, right, that they would, these people would continue to grow. Paul's praying that they would be strengthened, that that, that that strength is there, God is providing that, that they would tap into that, that they would be a people who would be endure these hard times, endure the pressures that they're going to be under, and do it patiently as they interact with these people who are going to be teaching false things, or maybe even people are being swayed and pulled away from these false teachings, that they would be patient and gracious and loving towards them. And the number three... He says that with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. Right? With joy, I believe, with the giving thanks. That's why I'm reading it probably a little bit differently than your Bible has it written. I'm not going to go into the details now. I'd be really bored. And so would I. Right? But we're to, with joy, give thanks to the Father for our salvation. And so Paul is praying that these people would grow, that they would tap into the strength that God provides, and that they would give thanks for what God has done in their lives. Because he is the one who has qualified them to share in this inheritance. God has qualified the Colossian people and made it capable for the Colossian believers, right, to share in the inheritance of the people of God. Because the gospel is bearing fruit and growing around the world. And this church, this little band of believers in Colossae is now being made apostles. It's possible for them. They've been qualified to share in those blessings that God has. Let me read it a little bit differently. As a believer, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of your fellow believers. The saints from around the worlds. And Paul says you, 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 you must give, give thanks for this. And if you're giving thanks for this, that means that you're recognizing that you didn't, you didn't earn it. It's a gift. Right? So you, you give thanks for what God has done in your lives. When you realize that you are saved by grace and by grace alone, you will give thanks to God for what he has done in your life. So Paul is praying that they would grow, that they'd be strengthened, and that they would be joyfully thankful for their salvation. They would be conscious, always and aware of their salvation for what God has done for them, but they're to thank him for it. And I mentioned this morning that God is doing so many different things that we miss so many different things in our lives, but we better not miss the fact that we are his child saved by grace through Christ. We better thank him for that. Because God alone has qualified you to enter his kingdom. God alone has saved you and redeemed you. 
And so Paul goes on in verses 13 and 14. He kind of elaborates a little bit more, I think, on that last part of verse 12. And he says that he, that's God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God's plan, the gospel, his plan of redemption is a rescue and a transferal program or an operation, let's use military terms, an operation. That he's delivered us from danger, he's delivered us from this domain of darkness. If you're not in Christ, if you have not been saved, if you have not believed the gospel, then you are living in this domain of darkness that's characterized by chaos and evil and destruction. But if you are in Christ, he has taken you, he's delivered you from that, and he's moved you over, he's transferred you from one place to another into this kingdom of his beloved son. It's also known as the, this, this kingdom of light and living in the light. You're no longer in darkness. The devil prowls around seeking whom he can devour. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to bring life. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, uh, writes it this way. And, and John loves to write in contrast and dark and light. And he says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We've been transferred. We've been d delivered and rescued and transferred into this kingdom of light. So true and ultimate rescue is, is, is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing, right? It, because you've been redeemed by Christ, by the blood of the cross. You're a child of God. God has qualified you. So you must joyfully thank God for your salvation. It's God's plan of redemption, and it was accomplished by Christ. And so Paul is praying for these people. God, just would you just help them to, under, to see the, the knowledge of, of, of your will, how you command them to, to live. G give them spiritual wisdom. Give, give them understanding. Lord, so they, they, they would live in a way that's pleasing and honor to you, that they would live as your children. Lord, they would continue to grow. Lord, that they would be strengthened, that they would tap into the strength that you provide and equip them with. Lord, and that they would joyfully give thanks for their salvation. So a personal knowledge of, of God's will is, is accompanied by these, th those three things. Continued growth, being strengthened by God to patiently endure situations and people, and then to joyfully give thanks to God for your salvation. 
we need to be sure as, as a church, right? We need to be sure as, as believers, right? That, 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 we're, that we think this way and that we live this way, right? That we live in a manner worthy, that we, we push into each other and we challenge each other and we encourage one another, right? And the best way that we can do that is to be sure that we always push people back to the Bible, push people back to Scripture. Because that really is the cleanest, right, and easiest will of command that God has given us. It's his words, right? It's how we're supposed to live. It's what he's done for us, and that's therefore how we should live. Paul wrote to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is one of our memory verses. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when we start, right, as, as, we, as we start thinking about and seeing what's happening in our worlds, right, we need to start looking at that through the lens of Scripture, what does God's word say about this? How does God's word need to inform the way I respond to this? I posted a video on Facebook. Um, I would encourage you to, on my personal page, I would encourage you, if you haven't seen it, why it's Todd Friel, and it's about wearing masks. Um, it hurts. It hurt me to watch it. And so, but I felt like I had to have other people hurt with me, so I posted it. But it helps us to think through biblically how are we supposed to, to, to live, right? It, it's this, this will of commands, right? So we start talking about, right, we can talk about, right, outside. We can talk about the culture. We can talk about the world and how we're supposed to engage and interact. But we've got to start here with one another, Right? How are we supposed to live and how are we supposed to interact and, and challenge right? and push God's word into, into our, one another's lives, into our life, and then one another and just to challenge each other to, to grow and to understand who God is and what he calls us to do. We have the, this tagline, grow in Christ, love like Christ, and live for Christ. Right? The first one is to grow. Right? We, we, we want to be a church that we're growing in Christ that we're having a better, we want this knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We want to be walking in a manner worthy. It starts here, and then we can love like Christ, and then we can live for him. It's a gospel issue, and it's an issue of understanding who we are in Christ and joyfully thanking God for that. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for a chance to be in your words. Lord, you are the sovereign gods, all-powerful, almighty. You have complete, perfect, and ultimate control over your creation. Nothing happens that is beyond your scope of authority. Lord, you are a God who calls us to live a certain way, who calls us to, to your will of command. 
So Lord, it's, it's my prayer that we would be a people, that I would be a person, a husband, a father, a pastor, a brother, a son who seeks to walk in a manner worthy. Lord, you have been so gracious to us. Lord, you have provided us with so much. Lord, this small little band of believers, ages two months to soon to be 86 years old. Lord, you've, you've called us, you've qualified us to be your children. It's easy to thank you, Lord, for the, 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 the material things, the provision of this building, which is a huge blessing. Lord, but, but nay, may we never forget to joyfully thank you for our salvation. To joyfully thank you for what you have done in our hearts, delivering us from this domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of your beloved son, Jesus. Now in a few, few moments, we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together, Lord, and we're gonna spend time remembering and celebrating the gospel. Whether we, are, we need to spend time remembering what you have done for us. It is your plan of redemption. It is your gift. Lord, but it's a time for us to, to celebrate. To joyfully Give thanks because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Because of your grace and your love and your mercy and the faithfulness of your son, we have eternity with you in heaven. May we remember and joyfully thank you for our salvation and may we remember and joyfully thank you for our inheritance that you have lavishly bestowed upon us. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. <laughs>